This is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Today is Tuesday, August the 17th, 2021, and I've got a good one for you today. Dave Jones is coming on the show. Who is Dave Jones? Dave Jones works with someone you may have heard of, Adam Curry, one of the, one of the really godfathers of podcasting, in my opinion. Um He's worked with Adam for years. What he's working with Adam on right now is uh, the Podcasting 2.0 project. It's kind of you know located at podcastindex.org. This is a really cool thing, and I've been playing with this lately. I've actually set this up on TSP where people can actually say, I like what Jack does, and I want to exchange value for value with Jack, and, and stream me Satoshis, in other words, Bitcoin, while they listen to the show if they want to do it, and some people do that. And I... I thought that was fantastic when I heard about it. It took me a little bit of a learning curve to, to get up to speed on it and understand exactly what's going on. And I got it all set up. And, well, I think I had it set up. I got my guy Tom, my web guy, working on it to make it completely right. And uh, I was like, how do I tell my audience about this and, and why it's important and, and without it being, hey, just go give me some Bitcoin? Because if I wanted to do that, I'd just say, here's an address, send me some Bitcoin. So I went and I managed to actually get in touch with Adam through a Telegram group that is a, a, a supporting uh, developer for this project. So it's not his project. It's a supporting developer. I was like, holy crap, that's Adam. So I reached out to Adam. He said, I, that's, I'm really not going to come on your show to talk about that. There's probably people that could talk about it at a much more technical level. One way or another, I ended up talking to Dave through that same Telegram channel and uh, started having direct messages with him and invited him on the show. Long-term listeners know why that's a big deal. There's probably one in 50, maybe more like one in 75 guests that come on the show that are people that I go out and say, hey, you want to come on the show? Up until the recent schedule change, I've been doing one guest a week, call that 50 weeks a year. So that means about once a year I go out and recruit a guest. I, I generally just let people apply to be on the show. We're well-known enough for that. I love a lot of our guests come out of the community itself. Turns out Dave's part of the community. He's been listening to the show for years, which is crazy to me as well. And uh, So I reached out. He said, to come on, we're going to be talking about what Podcast Index is, how it addresses freedom of speech and cancel culture, how Bitcoin fits into it, how podcast app developers really have been kind of written out of the revenue model over the last decade and a half, and how this fixes that, the Lightning Network and how it makes all this possible. And we're going to talk about something that Dave calls pathological sameness in podcasting. I didn't really know what he meant. I thought he was talking about content. It wasn't. It was something really interesting that I'd never really thought of because it is so much the damn same. And when you hear it, it'll make sense. So I'm going to have Dave on in just a moment. Before we do that, let's go ahead and hear from our two sponsors today. Sponsor day number one today is JM Bullion. Hey, we're going to be talking about crypto today. I talked about crypto. We're not really talking about crypto today. It's a piece of what we're talking about today, but we're going to talk about it. Uh, my entire Miyagi Mornings episode this morning was on Bitcoin. So you guys know I'm a big advocate of Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. 
And I always hear people say, well, what about gold? What about silver? I think you should have that too. That's called diversification. And the, the thing that about silver and gold, though, is it's like buying a Wilson basketball. A Wilson basketball is a Wilson ba basketball. If you get it from Walmart or Target, it's the same ball. So if one of them's a lot less, you buy it from the places less. JM Bullion is less than the biggest silver and gold houses per ounce of silver across the board. Lear Capital, Monix Atmix, you name it. The other thing about JM Bullion, though, is I can personally email the president of the company. I ain't had to do it in a long damn time. But if you ever have a problem and their customer service doesn't take care of it, and again, it's been a long damn time since there was a problem, I can get a hold of the president in moments. And the man responds, unless he's in an airplane or something, he responds to me almost instantly. Plus you get free shipping. Plus you get a discount if you're an MSB member. So my question for you is, why the hell would you buy your precious metal from anybody but Jam Bullion? Next up today, what about the other precious metal? You know what I'm talking about? Copper jacketed lead, boys and girls. Copper jacketed lead. And it's been in short supply. Of course, that's ammo. It's the thing that makes your gun a gun instead of a really expensive club. Because that's what a gun without ammo is. It's a really expensive club. It doesn't do what a gun needs to do. You need ammo. You ammo to train. You need ammo to defend yourself. You need ammo to put food, ammo to put food on the table. You need ammo, and you need lots of it, because when you pull the trigger and it goes bang, that one round is gone. So check out BulkAmmo.com. Not only do they have tons of stuff in stock again, But they have lightning-fast shipping, great pricing. It's amazing, awesome customer service. Sponsored of this show now for like 10 years. Check them out today at BulkAmmo.com. And with that, let's dig on into this and bring our special guest on. Again, Dave is just a cool dude. Uh, I was really uh, fortunate to be able to hook up with him on Telegram. And uh, when I first did, I, I just thought it was somebody that knew about it. I didn't realize I was like getting the guy who helped to build all of this amazing stuff with Adam over at Podcast Index. Of course, they have a show together called the Podcasting 2.0 Podcast. Uh, really cool dude. And with that, hey, Dave, man, welcome to the Survival Podcast. Oh, it's great to be here. I'm big, uh, you know, it's, it sounds quaint to say um, I'm a big fan, but I am. I'm lit I literally am a big fan. I started listening to you probably. Oh gosh, 2008, 2009. It was a long time ago. Yeah, so it's it's an honor to be on with you. You know, I've I've wanted to get involved with what you guys are doing with Podcast Index uh, for quite a while, but I really was like a million things to do, didn't know exactly how to do it. I found mm -hmm. out about some of the stuff like Satoshi Stream and all, but after I did it, um, I don't know if you were on with Adam or somebody else was on with Adam, but one of my listeners sent me like a little segment where I was on Adam's podcast as, like, somebody that recently joined the network. And Adam <laughs> boosted me with, like, 10,000 Satoshis or something. And it was, like, it was like a highlight for me of, of my podcasting career over 13 years to, <laughs> to end up, you know, on a, on a show like that. So that was really cool for me, too. That was uh, great. How, tell us a little bit, though, who, who and what is a Dave Jones man? Like, <laughs> Without rolling into podcast index right away, kind of what's your background? You know, how did you get involved with the industry and what have you? Uh, yeah, it's not exciting at all. Uh, I'm a uh, sysadmin, been a, been a system administrator for about uh, 24 years now, I guess. Yeah, 24 years, uh, just around Alabama, and uh, some. I got into uh, working with Adam about. It's been a little bit over 10 years ago now. We were working together on a project with uh, Dave Weiner, who was um, the co-creator of podcasting along with Adam. And we were working on him with him on a project uh, called EC2 for Poets. And 
it was a a way to take a outliner and combine it with an RSS uh, feed reader and then combine that with um, like a distribution mechanism. It, it was just all this stuff wrapped up into one uh, heavily RSS uh, based and uh, put that into a cloud you know, server that this, this was back, you know, when cloud servers were, were new and novel. And so we were, you know, spinning up stuff in rack space and EC2 and that kind of thing. And so I got to, to know Adam through that project and because uh, he was using that software for the no agenda show. And so, uh, just over time, we, uh, ended up, uh, sort of going off on our own and doing our own project, uh, called the freedom controller. And that was, um, like a, it's a show notes based system. And so you basically, you know, as you're doing research during the week for your show, you're saving articles into your database. And then on show day, you can export all those articles out into a big outline and then use that as your script for the show. And then after the show, you post it to, uh, to your show notes page. And so it's sort of like a soup to nuts, uh, type, type piece of software. And, uh, so we built that and that's, that's what No Agenda runs on now. And so just through, throughout the years, we've, you know, just done a lot of fun projects together. And every, every two or three years, we end up, you know, launching something new or trying to launch something new and none of it's, you know, ever anything big. But then, uh, he called me with this project. And so this is our new thing. So let's, let's talk about that. How, how did the idea for Podcast Index start? Um, it's pretty simple. Uh, Adam heard uh, some guys on the Accidental Tech Podcast talking about, hey, you know, it's a problem that Apple is sort of the yellow pages of podcasting, that to find a podcast, you go to uh, Apple's directory, the iTunes directory, or what's now known as the Apple Podcast directory. And, um, I mean, this is the biggest company in the world. Uh, they have their own internal agenda. Uh, they have shown um, – goodwill and you know great effort towards podcasting over the years but they're they're a corporate and you know entity and they have a large one and they have global interests and they are going to not always align with the interests that the podcast industry at large has and so uh, he called you know he called me and he's like you know these guys are right i think we can i think we can do this based on our uh, experience with aggregating large amounts of feeds RSS feeds. And so he's like, uh, you know, what do you think? And I was like, well, yeah, that's great. And he, he said, let's, you know, let's not do this as a nonprofit because, you know, nonprofits can get kind of gross. Um, and he's like, let's just, you know, be straight up with everybody. We'll do a podcast to go along with, um, with it and show that we're open source and uh, freedom based, uh, free speech uh, oriented. So we're not going to deplatform anybody. And it's just going to be the open community supported uh, system that will be uh, divorced from corporate influence. So that was that was the beginning of that idea. And and I was you know on board 100 percent with that. And I think it makes a lot of sense. I I think part of what makes podcasting unique uh, and different in the world of media and I'm, I'm subtracting every single MSNBC, Fox News, et cetera, host who's now turned their show into also a podcast from this, <laughs> yeah. is the absolute 
honesty and freedom and willingness of a person to say whatever they really think with nobody actually controlling them. That's what made podcasting what it became. It's what I've been doing for 13 years. I know Adam's been doing it for longer than that. Um, and some of us, we've been around almost since the very beginning, and a lot of new people come in every day. But it is that fearless nature. And that means that you might find a show and you might think that host is a complete asshole and you don't want to hear a word he has to say ever again and you don't listen to him, but you do know you're hearing what that person really thinks delivered the way they choose to deliver it. I have to tell you, over the past year and a half, with all the crazy crap that's been going on, you know, being the survival podcast, and we talk about COVID a lot because it's the biggest thing impacting lives today, one way or another, there's been plenty of times where, like, am I going to get my ass deplatformed? Because to me, this is not a hobby I do with two guys on the weekends and talk about sports ball or something, right? This is my business. I, I earn my living. I pay my bills. I take care of my family with this. And to have to ever even pause for a second and think, should I really say that? Or should I should I go edit that out? Is that pushing me too far? That's That's frightening to me, not because of what they can do to me, because of how it affects me as a podcaster. And everything that I have with my audience over these years, and the reason I'm able to earn a living doing this, is built on trust. You might hate what I said, but you don't think I'm lying to you. You don't think I'm holding back. And mm -hmm. so I think we need these alternatives because if we don't have them, podcasting will become sterilized and sanitized. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, there's no formal agreed upon definition of what constitutes a deplatformable offense. I mean, there's no you know there's no um uh body governing any of this stuff and there's no and even if there was it would be schizophrenic and impossible to to narrow things down so you know everybody's just left wondering if they're going to be sort of the next victim because uh, you're not sure what it is you say that's going to get you that's going to get somebody riled up and it's going to get you off the platform I, And, and, and they don't even tell you when they do it, right? I have no yes, people that have been yes. deplatformed, and they say, well, what did I do? They won't tell you. I've not been deplatformed from YouTube, but I've got a couple strikes against me, so I'm on the edge of being deplatformed from YouTube. And each time I've appealed it, I've won some, I've lost some, but I've never been told, this is what you did. This is what you're not allowed to do. So how am I supposed to, even if I choose to, adjust my programming to comply with this policy that's undefined? Yeah, that, that's exactly right. And used to, yeah, that wasn't always the case. Back back when people first started getting taken down, they would tell you, they would give you some idea of what it was. But then at some point there was this shift over the last couple of years, I think, if I feel that correctly, that now there's just this tech industry wide thing of we're not even going to respond to you. We're not going to tell you what you did. We're not going to give you any clue. All we're going to do is respond with this sort of boilerplate thing that says uh, you violated community guidelines or something like that. And so, you, I mean, nobody understands what they did to get to get deplatformed. Uh, but, you know, and which is a problem, because if all the guidance you get is community guidelines and now the uh, the newest one is uh, um, you have, you know, Uh, spread misinformation or you have uh, said something that is against uh, authoritative guidance from the CDC about COVID or something like that. Well, you know, the problem there is that that stuff changes sometimes week to week. Um, you, you know, we can look back at 
uh, even though, you know, the lab leak theory, the Wuhan lab leak theory, people were getting deplatformed for, for saying that. And then, you know, a few months later, it's like, oh, well, you know, that's okay now. Well, you know, if it's not okay to ruin somebody's livelihood and take food off their table just because, um, you know, somebody from uh, the CDC said something. So that's, yeah, it, it's the whole thing is just a, a complete uh, sort of farce with and, and we played a clip on the last show of, on our on our show where the uh, the statement that uh, Facebook released when uh, recently Biden had accused them of uh, of misinformation, of, of fomenting misinformation. The statement they released to counter that was we don't do that. We always uh, you know, we we have allowed millions of people to see authoritative information. You know, they didn't say true information. They said authoritative information. And so that information, as long as it's blessed by a government entity, that's that's 100% CYA for all of these tech platforms, and that's what they care most about because at the end of the day, for them, it's about being brand safe. Uh, there are advertisers that are, that are on YouTube um, – they do not want to be have their ads inserted into content that may reflect negatively on them. And so the only way you the, the best way to make sure everything is brand safe is to always point and always follow the guidance of some government institution in your jurisdiction. And with Even, YouTube in particular, it's so unnecessary, though, because um, any advertiser can say, I don't want my ads on any producer's channel. Right, I can just decide mm -hmm. I don't want to be on Jack's channel, and I can block advertisers from my channel. I've had some advertisers I considered conflict of interest. I do a lot with permaculture and gardening and stuff like that, as you know. So, like when I started seeing an ad for chemical fertilizer show up on my videos, I blocked that ad. So that's unnecessary, but they kind of mm -hmm. want this kind of because these companies buy ads in the millions of dollars. They're like, we'll take everything you have this month up to a million dollars, right? And they don't want to manage that so they just want hey we're woke we want to be woke type of thing and i mean i think what you're doing really is about free speech but it's also like the counter to counter to cancel culture which i, I almost don't like the term cancel culture anymore i call them the cancel mafia right because yeah. they act like thugs or like a twitter mob here and you know, what what not there uh you know, they've got the indian off the box of uh, uh of land lakes butter <laughs> I don't know if you've seen the meme, but there's a meme where they show the box before and after, and it said, "How American!" They got rid of the Indian and kept the land. <laughs> you know, I mean, like that. I mean, there's so much of that going on. You know, and how do you guys approach that? Like, I know you say you're not going to, to censor or whatever, but how do you stay resistant to the mob? Oh uh, well, I mean, number one is we don't have advertisers. We don't ever take advertisers. We don't have. We're purely donation based, so we don't. Um, I mean, that's number one is you have to divorce yourself from the ability for people to come after your income stream. And so we've chosen to go for the what you know Adam has always called the value for value model. If you value the project and what we're doing, uh, we just ask you to return that value to us through a donation of some you know monetary amount that that you choose, whatever that is. And for each person, it's going to be objective. So that's that was step one is say, OK, we're we're not going to be. We're not going to take money from any sort of corporate uh, institution. We're not going to go out and solicit funds uh, like VC advertising, any of that jazz. So this project is going to live or die based on its own merit and based on p 
people seeing its value and stepping up to support it. And that, I mean, that's, that's really from our standpoint is how we maintain, you know, our, our uh, independence. But, um, as far as, you know, what, what we've chosen to take down and that kind of thing, you know, I have taken down a podcast. I took one down that was, uh, horrible. It was, it was, uh, like promoting incest or something like that. It was, it was terrible. And, uh, it was an, it was on anchor and, you know, which has a lot of stuff like that since it's a pre free platform. But, you know, I have taken stuff down that's clearly just off the chain. Uh, but that's, you know, those are violations of local law. Uh, we're going to comply with all that kind of stuff. But anything beyond that, you know, we're of the standpoint that old, you know, sort of Rush Limbaugh saying, if somebody wants to show, you know, wants to be an idiot, you know, get out of the way and let them do it. And, you know, if somebody wants to be, you know, spout racism or some terrible stuff, you know, I want people to be able to hear that and identify it so they know exactly who this person is and they, they know exactly what this person is all about rather than them hiding it and being a, you know, a closet racist or something that we don't know. Uh, to me, that's, it's better to know exactly what you're dealing with with people. Let them, let them say what they want to say and like, okay, I don't ever want to be around you again or I don't ever want to hear you again. And I want to tell everybody else not, you know, that they shouldn't listen to you again. But as far as, you know, removing their voice from society that that is counterproductive to me um. yeah I, I i it makes me think of christopher hitchens and he was talking about free speech one time and he said that the the real the real danger of suppression of free speech is it's not just the suppression of your right to say something it's the suppression of other the right of others to hear it Mm-hmm. That I have as much right to hear what you have to say if I want to as you do to say what you have to say, and that without that we can't have a free society. It's impossible, mm-hmm. and yeah. that's that's literally where we're getting to. That you're telling people they don't have a right to hear something because me saying it, I can say. There's nothing you can do to stop me from saying it, right? I can sit in my office and say it all I want. If Apple decides to deplatform me, they're denying, you know. I have more than 200,000 total subscribers. They're denying those people the ability to hear what I have to say. And if they don't want to hear what I have to say, they don't have to listen. They can decide, I don't like Jack anymore. They can switch me off. They can go do something else. It's up to them. Mm-hmm. And I, I believe in, it, like you said, with the exception of like clear violations of the law, pedophilia, crap like that, Like even reprehensible things... You let people say whatever they want to say. I do want to know who the racist is. If the racist knows a restaurant, I don't want to go to the racist restaurant. Absolutely. When, when I first got on Gab, because a lot of my listeners asked me to, I did see quite a bit of racism pop up, and it did bother me. And I realized, shut up, be a big boy, pull your pants up, and block these idiots. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, don't don't expect somebody to do for you what you won't do for yourself. But we're moving into a society where that's all anybody expects. I want I want everything done for me, so everything's sanitized, and I feel good about everything. Yeah, the, you know, the other part of that is that often gets brought up. It's the misinformation is that, you know, is what people reference about justification for deplatforming. And the other one is fomenting violence. And, uh, that can be, you know, you, you look at somebody like Steve Bannon is a perfect example. He got his podcast taken off of a lot of places, uh, because he supposedly was, um, fomenting violence against, um, you know, whoever, whoever this was in office and these political entities or political people. And, um, he, you know, that, that is very subjective, politically subjective as well. And you can find 
just hundreds of instances where people get upset when they're talking on a podcast or in on TV or something like that. They get upset. They're they're hyper partisan. And they say something that they that they wish, in retrospect, they may not have said. Yeah, all these pricks should be strung up by their thumbs or something like yeah, that. Yeah, right? something you like know? that. Yeah, and so you, you have to get in there to that context, and and it's it's always political, um, you know, because you can look at you can look at stay, see what Steve Bannon said. You can you can juxtapose that with you know Kathy Griffin and her holding a decapitated head of Trump, you know, on social media. There's People are when they get in when they politics makes people go crazy. And so we don't necessarily want to, as a society, I think, uh, silence everybody that just kind of goes overboard. That's, well, and yeah. as far as misinformation goes, then debate the point. Then yes. bring information. Yes. Don't say, well, the CDC says. Let, let's have open, honest, rigorous academic debate. Um, one of the, th the hot-button issues over the last year and a half was the whole thing, does hydroxychloroquine work and is it safe? You know, when you have a medication that VA is handing out 60,000 doses of a year for treatment of various illnesses and it's used all over the world and it's over-the-counter in 70% of the planet and the TV's telling people it should only be used in a hospital under supervision of a doctor, that's misinformation. But when that was all going on, I went out and I finally got sick of it. And I said, I will debate anybody on the safety and efficacy of hydroxychloroquine in a live stream debate. And I, all, I basically stacked the deck completely against me. You can have two research assistants. You can use the Internet. You could double my time. Zero people stood up and debated the issue. And the reason was it was a clearly losing fight if you took mm -hmm. the counter side. Well, instead of having that debate, Which is, like, if it's actually science, right, it's rigorous academic debate, or it's not science, silence everybody, shut everybody up, ban everybody, became the modus operandi. So when they decided to do it later on with another drug, which is also incredibly safe, maybe it works, maybe it doesn't, but we should be able to figure that out, ivermectin, it was no surprise. And, like, that's the whole approach now. Anything that's counter to what we want you to believe, we just call it misinformation, with no obligation to step up and debate the point. You know, if we're going to take down misinformation, like you want the, the misinformation that's on the Internet today that probably reaches the most people who believe it is the whole flat earth nonsense, right? <laughs> But I don't, want, I don't want to silence the flat earthers, right? I, like you want to debate flat earth? I'm not doing it. I got more important shit to do in my life. There's all kinds of scientists that are happy to step up and debate that with people. I, I, what's his name? Stefan Molyneux, another guy that got deplatformed from YouTube and several other places. Uh, mm. he did like 90 minutes with a flat earther, you know, debating the whole thing. And like, so if you're gonna call something misinformation, step up and debate the facts. Don't just drown it out and say, like, since we have the power, we're gonna throw the switch. But that's what they do. Well, in another good example of that would be, um, should people who have recovered from COVID take the vaccine? This is a, You know, it's a Absolutely. Personal, personal thing for me. I had COVID back in uh, November of last year. And so and I've also got uh, some uh, a metabolic disorder. So I'm I'm very careful. I'm extremely careful about what I put into my system. So I've been just following every piece of information that comes out about should vaccine, you know, should the should people that had COVID before. Uh, and recovered should they take the vaccine because I don't want to screw myself up. I'm, my risk factors are, you know, are known to me. And, and I've been looking at this thing for the longest time. We've been told, yes, absolutely need to take the vaccine. 
If you're recovered, absolutely you need to take the vaccine. Well, over the last couple of weeks, that has begun to change. There's a new Carnegie Mellon study out that uh, shows clearly that people who have recovered from COVID um, have greater protection against uh, against being reinfected at one year than people who had the vaccine do at three months. And so there's there's a a sea change going on right now about the advice being given out about whether or not COVID uh, recovery patients should take the vaccine. Now that, you know, each and each individual person is up to make their own decisions about that, but I'm not, you know, I don't want to be told I can't hear that information because that if, if I'm told that, then I would still be just in a fog and not knowing about this, about this, these new studies, if everything is silenced as soon as it comes out. It's just it's it, it can get misinformation. The misinformation label can so quickly go into into just government censorship that I, I just want to steer and and we want to steer is 100 percent clear of that. And, and I'd say without people that run YouTube channels and alternative platforms and podcasts, most of this information, nobody would know because the TV hmm. doctors and the TV heads say exactly what they're told to say. Right, so we wouldn't know about hydroxychloroquine. We wouldn't know about ivermectin. We wouldn't know about uh, natural immunity. Like, yeah. I mean, I I just talked about this recently. We said this whole thing about antibodies is stupid anyway. The the immune system is so much more than just antibodies. We have B cells. So now that you've had COVID, I just had it myself. Even when your antibodies fade, your B cells now have a memory, and they're able to make new antibodies much faster than they would have been able to do prior to infection. You also have T-cell immunity. Your T-cells, your innate killer cells, now know what COVID looks like. The vaccine is just the spike protein. The spike protein has mutated. That's why the vaccine's not working worth a damn for this whole Delta thing, because the spike protein mutated. So the body has only been trained to recognize the spike protein, where somebody like you or I has had a natural infection, it's been trained to recognize the entire virus. So it says, ooh, this thing's bad. And there's like a kill order now in your body and mine, and anybody else has had this. It's like an open-ended kill order, like a burn notice on an operative. Like if you see this, it needs to die. And there's th- those are that's three pieces of immunity. There's actually five to six layers of immunity that's developed after a natural infection. No one's saying that. And I had a YouTube video. I didn't get a strike, but I did have it taken down for saying that. Hmm. Now that's that's medical fact, right? And now, like you said, these studies are coming out. Now that medical fact is being kind of backed up, but. Well, what about the video you took down from two months ago? There was nothing medically or scientifically inaccurate in that. No one ever explained to me what I said that was untrue. They just took it down. And so I, I love seeing you guys do something. And I want to dig. We're kind of ranting here. Let's kind of dig more into what you what you guys are doing here. This is a solution because we're a solutions oriented group. Um, Bitcoin is a big part of this. Why did you guys choose Bitcoin as the way to monetize this this new network? Well, you know, it, it doesn't matter about deep deep. You can you can deep decentralize yourself in your content as much as you uh, as much as you can, and you can say, well, I'm going to be over here on this platform because they're better, you know, quote unquote, and I'm going to be over here on this, you know, uh, host podcasting host, well, they, you know, because they're they're better, you know, about this stuff. Or you can you can make uh, all kinds of uh, decisions like that to decentralize your content. Should I protect yourself from being uh, deplatformed? But 
I mean, ultimately, if you don't also decentralize uh, the payment mechanism, then that's you'll get hit there as well. So and, you know, I want to say that currently in our system, uh, or the stuff we were talking about a while ago, currently everything is very right wing focused. Um, everything seems to be focused on the right wing. You know, they're the party of misinformation or blah, blah, blah. You know, but. But this whole thing we're talking about is is just a, applies just as much to the to left wing, and so any of this stuff that that we talk about, uh, there's people being deplatformed for all kinds of things all the time. We just may not hear about them, and that's on the right and the left. So really, you know, if you take uh, all of your eggs and put them in one basket with somebody like PayPal, Patreon, or something like you know like that. You haven't really solved anything because your deplatformability is is now just moved a little bit up the chain. You've gone up the ladder to um, you know to to the next level, but they can still take your money away. They can still take your livelihood away. Uh, so if you're speaking out against, let's just say you're you're speaking out against Israel, you're pro-Palestinian. Some of those guys are getting taken off all the time. You know, all the time. Well, then. Uh, you know, you could give, you could be demonetized directly through, um, through PayPal or Patreon themselves and, uh, through some, through a partnership with the Anti-Defamation League, which, like we just saw, uh, come, come through the other day. So, you know, it, it's one of those things where, uh, it, it was pretty clear that in order to sort of be, uh, a de- fully decentralized, there would need to be decentralized money. And that means, you know, bit, that means Bitcoin, that means crypto. And, uh, we, uh, Adam found, uh, through researching this initially, he found, uh, the Lightning Network, which is what they call a layer two network built on top of Bitcoin that allows fast payments, uh, anonymized payments. Um, it's pretty much exactly what, what we needed. It's very new. It's only been out, you know, for, uh, since like 2018. So uh, the initial work with that was just trying to figure out, you know, will this thing work? Will it do what we need it to do? Um, if if so, then what are we going – how are we going to make that uh, work in a way that's open source so that we can uh, not – so that we can not just replace the, uh, you know, those Patreons and PayPals so that we can uh, make this something that doesn't even depend upon us. So if, if one of these days the podcast index goes away and disappears – uh, this system that we built can just keep on ticking. Uh, so that that's kind of how we came to crypto because it's just a logical. It just makes you know, logical sense that the next piece of that puzzle, if you're looking at uh, decentralization, is going is to have to be the money part. And Lightning was really key to that working to make Bitcoin work because um, when, when I first heard about this, one of my listeners told me about it, and I was like, they're using Bitcoin for micro payments to podcasters, like. Well, that's dumb. Like, <laughs> why didn't they use something that's designed for, you know, micro payments that's faster and cheaper or whatever? He said, well, they're using Lightning Network. I went, oh, okay. Like, yeah. it was like, oh, okay, okay, there's an answer. That, that That's absolutely the case. And um, I think that Lightning is one of those things that a lot of purists don't understand what the hell they're talking about when they criticize it. They'll say, well, you're trusting a third party. Well, mm-hmm. not really, because. That third party doesn't know who you are, where you came from, or where your payment's going. Like a lightning node operator 
doesn't know who you are and doesn't know who you're sending it to. And they don't even know where they are in the transaction as far as a lightning node transaction for, for people listening that maybe are new to lightning. It takes the quickest, cheapest path through the network, but it might hit five, six nodes. Yeah. Well, when that That's transaction right. goes through, it's wrapped in, we call it onion routing, and that onion is a fixed size. So, like, that net, that node operator can't even say, well, since the onion's little, I have to be toward the end, right? It's a mm -hmm. fixed-sized onion that has multi-layers, and the only thing that node can tell is where the transaction came from and the next node it's going to, because it requires that information. But when it sends that to that next node, it doesn't know how many nodes are left, and it doesn't know who the last person in the transaction is. And if you are the last person in the transaction, it, the, la the second to last person doesn't know that. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's actually a really, it's much more anonymous. It's not anonymous. It's much more anonymous than a native Bitcoin transaction. And when people say that, I'm like, well, what wallet do you use to make payments? And they're like, Jax or Exodus or whatever. I'm like, you're using a third party. Mm -hmm. It's yeah. a light, if, it's, if you're not running a node, you're using a third party. How do you connect to the internet? Comcast, you're using a third party. Right? I mean, yeah. like, this whole third-party thing, I call it my third party, like my roads, like my third party, right? Like, like what are you <laughs> talking about? Like, you're using third parties all the time, and then you get into this whole crap about but what Satoshi wanted. Satoshi's a coder, not a prophet, right? Yeah. It's, not the, it's not the gospel of Satoshi, right? If Satoshi wanted to continue to have influence, whoever he or they were, should still be around. Not, okay, you did your thing, you left, now we have this wonderful thing called Bitcoin, And it has inherent limitations. So instead of changing the thing that works so well as a hard-capped, hard currency, build technology to work with it. Yeah, Lightning is Lightning is how Bitcoin scales. I mean, it's it is the future of or some sort some sort of layer two is how Bitcoin is going to achieve scalability to reach you know Mastercard Visa level transaction volume. So. That's you know that that's something that has to happen and everybody knows that and and lightning is you know it may not be perfect it still has some rough edges but it has been rock solid for this use case and um, it took it took a few months just to just to to adapt sort of adapt lightning into to be used this way because on, on its own lightning is not uh, set up to do stuff like this. Lightning is, uh, by default, it, it, it involves creating an invoice and then uh, sending that invoice to the person who's going to pay you. And let's just say 10,000 Satoshis. I'm going to send Jackson uh, an invoice for 10,000 Satoshis. Uh, you get that on your, on your uh, Lightning wallet, and uh, you, you scan that QR code or paste in that, that invoice number, and uh, then it pays me those 10,000 Satoshis. That's, by default, out of the box, the way Lightning works. There was, and, and at first it looked like a no-go because, I mean, that's just impossible. You can't do microtransactions that way in streaming audio. Uh, so we sort of looked around, and Adam found a thing called Keysend. And Keysend was sort of an add-on to Lightning where it's an invoiceless uh, payment. And Keysend, all it needs is just the node address of the Lightning node. And... Um, that was like the aha moment. You can send a Satoshi. I can send those same 10,000 Satoshis to you. And all I need to know is your node address. And that node address looks, you know, fairly similar to a big traditional Bitcoin address. It's not the same, but it looks fairly similar. 
And if that's the case, then what I could do is I could take that note address and I could stick it in my RSS feed for my podcast. And now I know, uh, now the app knows from reading the feed, it knows exactly where to send these payments to and it can do them in an invoiceless way. And so as long as you're, as long as Jack's node, uh, understands key send payments and you put that note address in your feed, in your RSS feed, now you can get payments from any app that supports it and you don't need a, a third, you don't need any centralized system or third party because you're, it's just your feed and the app. Now, the hitch with the system is that most podcast hosts don't allow you to add arbitrary new tags into your ex, into your RSS feed for your podcast. Uh, it's all it's all controlled through their through their user interface. So um, what we had to do was we we had to create this system uh, called Podcaster Wallet, which lets you uh, claim your podcast there and then put your uh, node your lightning node address into our database directly so that all the apps all the podcast apps that use the podcast index api so that they can all get that information they can get the node there but you know that's just sort of like a shim where we're we're providing a service to the apps uh, because there's no other real way to do that right now but you know what i suggest to people is if they can if you like self-host through powerpress or something like that I always recommend people put that uh, put their node ID directly into uh, their feed into their XML because then you have a hundred percent autonomy. I mean, you don't even need us at that point. You're you're completely independent. If we go away tomorrow, you you're still rocking and rolling. Um, so that's one of the that's one of the things that we've tried to do from the beginning is everything we do, we've tried to make it. You know, we plan on being around for you know. Uh, you know, a hundred years, but if something happens and we're not, we, we don't want there to be any hiccups. It's just, we just want to keep everything rocking and rolling. So everything that we do has been open source, has been open protocol, uh, developed, you know, in transparently and open. And, uh, that's just the way we want to roll because we don't, you know, that's the way you build goodwill. That's the way you make, you get people to trust you that you're just not some VC tech bro that showed up and wants to make a million dollars. Um, so all that's that's been sort of our philosophy from the very beginning. And so far, I mean, it's it's working great. I mean, we've got over eleven hundred podcasts uh, on our database that have you know, lightning node IDs put into their uh, XML feeds and their RSS feeds. And uh, we're we're seeing transactions every minute of every day. I mean, it's a constant stream. It's pretty exciting too, you know, uh, for someone like me to, to, to go into this new place. And like, I think a lot of people out in my audience also have their own pod podcasts. And I think that if you're an Apple podcast, at least when this thing rolled out, if you were, you ended up in it because when I went to go like, okay, fine, I'm going to get this done. I'm going to get it. I was like, Oh, I'm already there. So you guys, I don't know if you grabbed the Apple feed or some other feed or whatever. Um, to, or maybe certain like top and category, I, I don't know, but I was already there. But then once I set it up and once I figured it out, it's a little bit of a learning curve and you start seeing like, you know, 900 Satoshis came in here, 1500 Satoshis came in there. You're like, this is cool because I haven't like part of why I have you on is I think that my job as a podcaster getting involved with this is to expose my audience to it, but hmm. I haven't even done that yet. <laughs> right, like I have, yeah. like that's what we're doing right now to a degree. Um, 
I just got into the network, and some people that are already using the network either recognized my show or found my show and decided, yeah, I'll stream some sats to this guy. Mm-hmm. And so that's like opening up this entire new revenue uh, stream because I'm I'm with you on, you know, don't have everything on PayPal or whatever. Like, I do take PayPal. I also take Stripe. I also take crypto, right? Like, I, I don't believe in having one faucet of money coming in because if somebody turns that faucet off, you're screwed. And yep. so anytime I can open up a new faucet of revenue and voluntarily exchange value for value with my audience, that's exciting to me. So this has been really cool. But I want to kind of talk about how does this how does this fit with podcast app developers? Because one of the things I have in your notes for me is that basically they got the shaft in the podcast economy over the years. So does this does this help not just the podcaster but also the the technology driven person wants to develop technology for podcasters or for yeah. podcast users? A hundred percent because that that was the other thing that Adam uh, when he was first started thinking about this he told me he's like you know the one thing I screwed up with in the beginning with podcasting is that there was never a way for podcast app developers. To, to monetize and, and, you know, in a way that made sense because, uh, you know, pod, and you can look at where, around at the podcast economy now. Yeah, podcasters can make money. They've got a clear revenue model through advertising or whatever you want to, you know, however you want to do that. Uh, podcast hosting companies, they can monetize. They have a you know, very clear business strategy, you know, business uh, plan. Uh, it's like, you know, allow people to host with your system, charge them this month, much a month. It's, it's just very clear. Uh, they're making money. Podcast advertiser, uh, publishing uh, systems and publishing houses, they're making money. Uh, you have uh, podcast uh, – Then you, the only link in the chain is podcast apps. Podcast apps are perhaps the most critical piece of that. They're how we actually listen to podcasts, but there's no clear way for them to make money other than like 99 cents on an app store. And so you know that – That's pretty devaluing because if you think, you know, maybe, uh, you know, beyond the Apple podcast player that's built into iPhone or a Google podcast player that's built into most stock Android phones. Other than those two players, the number of people that go out and actually go to an app store and try and download a podcast app is fairly small. I mean, in the grand scheme of things. So if you're stuck, you know, charging a, a buck. To each of your listeners, uh, if you're lucky, you get a you know $2.99 per, you know subscription a year. If you're stuck that that way, that you just can't make money. So, not money that's enough to be a day job. And so, what we did was a couple of things. We created the the first idea for the podcast index was to create a database of podcasts uh, that anyone could download, freely available. That would hopefully one day replace the Apple Podcast directory. Uh, that was the first goal. You know, number two was to give podcast app developers an API so that they could just write an app and hook their API into our backend, and we would do all the aggregation and all that kind of stuff, and we would just provide them the latest episode details, searchability where you can find the catalog. And so we say, okay, we're going to run the backend infrastructure. And that's, that's 99% of where all of our monthly bills come from is us running. We run about 20 servers now uh, that do all of that work. 
And so, uh, it's, you know, roughly $500 a month, 500 to 550 a month is what we're paying in hosting fees. And so we run all that system so that a podcast app developer can just write an app. They don't have to run, they don't have to invest $500, $700 a month running 20 servers just to do all that stuff. And so now there's, you know, about 10 apps total that are using us in some way. Some just use us for search as an index. Uh, others use us for everything, their entire back end. Uh, but what that does is it allows them to lower their initial uh, cost to entry into the system and they, then they can make money at two ninety nine, you know, a year for subscriptions or ninety nine cents on the app store. They can make money from day one, and then hopefully, uh, if they when they add in the Lightning Bitcoin streaming aspect of it, we always tell them, you know, you need to charge, take a percentage. Uh, one of the ways that we, uh, one of our revenue streams is we for any uh, podcast app that uses us. For streaming uh, Bitcoin payments, we put ourselves in as a one percent uh, fee split, so we get you know one percent, and it's completely voluntary. They don't you know we don't check. I mean they we just honor system, and uh, but we tell them you know when you're streaming the payments, you got you put yourself in there as a split as well. Uh, Breeze uh, podcast app uh, that's also a Lightning wallet, uh, they charge five percent. So when you're streaming back to the podcaster. Uh, and with Breeze, one percent goes to us because they use our API, and five percent goes to Breeze. So, even with those two splits, those two percentages, everybody's getting a piece of the action. Everybody's being supported up and down the chain, and you still end up netting the podcaster more than they would get on Patreon or PayPal or any of that stuff because you know they're still getting you know ninety four percent of of the of the payment value so that that was the idea is that we can build the system in a way where everybody is is finally making money not just the not just the podcaster and the hosting companies and this re, this revenue you know this these splits can can be increased even further uh, down the line maybe we're hoping that you know one day maybe hosting companies will support the spec and then they'll give you maybe a, a discount on your hosting fees. It's like, well, you know, you'll give us a, you know, 3% split of your uh, streaming payments and we'll, uh, knock your hosting fees down to, you know, $2 a month, uh, whether it's, you know, where it's currently 10 or $15 a month. So that's, that was the idea. And, and it's working pretty well so far. We've done some napkin math with a few of the app developers and I mean, right out of the gate, I mean, they can, Typically make, you know, hundred, you know, hundred, hundred fifty dollars a month, even at current levels. Uh, so that's, you know, that's nothing to, that's nothing to, to, to turn down really when you're talking about, uh, trying to make a sustainable, uh, system, a sustainable app that you can maybe one day live off of. Well, and I think it's important from the standpoint of, of the podcaster side that we understand that, if we're not willing to share value with people that enable us, then there's no reason for them to enable us. I think we've in some ways been a little bit spoiled by technologies like Apple Podcasts because it doesn't cost me anything to be an Apple Podcast. Mm -hmm. uh, they, they put my content on But they also don't do a damn thing to help me make a dollar other, than, right, uh, yeah. other than distribute. 
So if somebody's going to build a competitive app and they're going to, you know, all in, take 6% out of it, um, when I look at what small dollar transactions cost me um, on PayPal, for instance, or Stripe, for like my memberships or whatever, that's not out of line. And I, I'm paying less than most people because I don't do Patreon, right? I don't, I don't do any of these kind of third party type things any more than I have to. I sell, I, I spend $700 a, a month just to host my podcast. Uh, cause I'm not going to use a Lipson or something like that that's going to insert their own ads or decide they don't like me anymore. And I, I've, I've refused to do that from day one. And I went, you know, it, you, you, you have to be committed cause like my first year, you know, $50 a month hosting was plenty. And yeah. then all of a sudden your host says it's unlimited says, yeah, we didn't really mean that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. but, but it, it's been worth it. But like, so my fees for merchant fees are probably lower than the average person's and they're still in that kind of ballpark. And when you're using Patreon or something, you're getting nickel and dimed out the butt. Like, it, plus they deplatform people. Yeah. So I think having kind of a neutral app that says, okay, we built in this monetization for you that you didn't have before, and all in, it's going to cost you six percent. I don't care if it costs me ten percent. It's all money I didn't have, and I can't obtain it without the service you're providing. Yeah. That you know that's another good point because what. What we've seen a couple of times is people are like, well, you know, I don't podcasters will say, you know, I don't want to get involved in this because I'm a, I don't want to risk my current user base. I don't, I've got a Patreon, a list of Patreon subscribers that I'm happy with. And I don't, I don't want to like, uh, you know, take, uh, take away from that base and move it to Bitcoin or something like that. And that's really not, it's not a zero sum game like that. Like I think you're, like you're saying, you can, this is an additive thing. There's a lot I can tell you. I could rattle off at least ten off the top of my head podcasts right, you know, right this minute that have um, that have added streaming payments, the value for value stuff to their podcast, but they're not, and they've not told their audience about it, but they're still getting paid because they're being discovered on these other apps uh, from largely Bitcoin-minded people. Uh, who use these apps like Breeze? Uh, Breeze has a new tab, has a tab on it that just says "new," where you go in there and it just shows you all the latest podcasts that have signed up for value streaming. And you know you can go over there and you you see something new pop up. And this may be like a survival podcast may not have been on anybody's radar before it showed up in Breeze. And so now you've got this new income stream that's coming in that you never you didn't you didn't go and say, "Hey, audience." I want, you know, I want you all to move to, to streaming Bitcoin. I mean, that's, this would be silly. This is not necessary. So, um, but you have the additive rev revenue and you also have the ability to flip the switch if ever necessary and say, you know, okay, I just got deplatformed off of, you know, Patreon or what, what, you know, whatever this podcaster is a member of. I just got, I just got deplatformed. If you guys really want to support me, Go and and jump, you know, jump in and, and send me some sats because I need it right now. So I think you know yeah, it's not absolutely. a it's not an either or. Yeah. No, I think so. And I, so over the years, there's a collection of of colloquialisms that have come out of my mouth that the audience and the community have taken to using. Uh, they call them jackisms, and one of them is, "Why do you hate money?" So so <laughs> and so that was the, the when you started explaining the excuse as to why people didn't want to get involved. That was the first thing that popped into my head. You hate money. 
because you're saying you don't want more money. And you, you, and you don't want the best money that exists on the planet today in, in Bitcoin. You, you don't want that. And like basically what they're worried about, and most of them are so financially, because if you think that way, I don't consider you financially sophisticated in, in the realm of marketing and building and all that. You're just not. But the word they're actually describing there is cannibalization. So I'm Cannibal, going to cannibalize yes, yes. my revenue with other revenue. Well, unless that revenue goes down per user moved, It doesn't matter. It's more diverse now. It's more stable now. Um, and, you know, like how are you monetizing, I think, is important, too. Like you've mentioned uh, commercials and what have you. And I do have a very small, limited group of, of sponsors, and most of them have been with me over a decade now. They're paying way less than if I was selling based on the market value. The reason I'm able to do that, I like to work with small companies. I can afford to do it because I run a private membership for my audience, and probably one in ten listeners becomes a member eventually. And mm. so someone's not going to stop buying a membership that makes the money on discounts because they've decided to stream Satoshis. Or I also run Amazon affiliate stuff, and because like people trust me, so I recommend product. And like somebody's not going to go, well, since I bought you know this thing I was going to buy anyway through Jack's link, I'm going to stop being a member. And mm. those are all just additional revenue sources, and What I think it is, in the world of podcasting, we have an awful lot of people who get involved in, and they really don't make a big impact. But we also have a lot of people that do. And many of those people have never run a business. They have, they've never managed a business. They, they have a job somewhere. And I'm not putting the job down. I'm just saying like they're limited into their understanding of business operations. So the guy's a welder or something, but him and his buddy really can riff on, you know, and with podcasts, you can go narrow, like, you know, USC football or something. And they have a show dedicated to that and they end up with 20,000, 30,000 listeners. Mm -hmm. But they have no idea how to actually convert what they have into money. And then you show them away. And they, they find them, talk themselves out of it, I guess, you know, or I bet you also probably get people that like, well, I don't understand Bitcoin. Yeah. Well, oh, yeah, absolutely. That's yeah. give yourself a couple hours on YouTube and you'll understand Bitcoin <laughs> enough to accept it. Right. Like I get people all the time. Well, I want to start taking Bitcoin. How do I do it? Like if you, if you're not doing a lot of volume, just download a wallet, say you take crypto and send people an address and do the transaction manually, get started. Um, but I, I love what you're doing. But what I wanted my audience to know, and I don't want to move everybody over, and it's not going to happen. You know, maybe maybe five percent of my business is in crypto now, so that's that's your crypto segment, right? But how did like it was pretty easy for me for what, what I decided like I'm going to set this up to figure out how to get involved, make sure I was in there, confirm my feed. I used Satoshi Stream, which I'm not sure if it was a smart thing to do or not, but it worked, and, and now I get Sats. So that was pretty easy for me to figure out. I'm not sure. How does, you know, Bill that's sitting in my audience right now that goes like, I got Bitcoin, I like this, I want to support this. How does he as a listener set up so that he can take his favorite podcasters that are in your networks or apps and start streaming sats? Because I really don't understand how to do that at all. Yeah, that's, that's the hard, that's the hard part of this. And so the, the podcaster part is fairly painless. It, you can go three or four different ways. And get on board with receiving Satoshis within five minutes. I mean, it's, it's fairly painless. The listener side is where the friction still is. And 99% of the reason for that is because of, um, KYC. And KYC is know your customer rule. 
and that is what all financial exchange institutions have to implement. It's a government regulation. And so if you convert currency from dollars to anything else in the United States, you have to, as an institution, you have to follow KYC. You have to get information about your customer because you're, you know, it's banking at that point. And so that part is hard to overcome, but the, it's going, it is getting better very quickly. And one of the, the easiest way to get on board is through Strike. Uh, Strike.me is the app that Jack Mahler's uh, created. He's the guy responsible for getting uh, El Salvador to uh, recognize Bitcoin as legal tender. Very promising, uh, forward-looking young man, and he has created this this system. It's you basically just load the app. It's like Cash App. You load the app, uh, then you uh, attach a debit card to it, and you're done. And so then. What you do is you just go into your strike app, your strike app, you uh, deposit, let's just say 20 bucks in there. Then you uh, fire up your podcast app and say, and tell your, in your podcast app, you say, uh, let's just say you're using uh, Breeze or Fountain. You say, I want to deposit uh, 20, you know, 20,000 Satoshis into my podcast app. It pops up a QR code invoice. You pay that QR code invoice with strike. And now you've just loaded up your podcast wallet with 20,000 Satoshis. And so that, that's the easiest onboard mechanism for us outside the U S it's a little more challenging because the, um, uh, strike has not gone out to those other, uh, to those other areas yet, but you, m- there's a lot of, uh, Bitcoin exchanges and this is adding like monthly, this is happening that are now adding lightning support. So if you have some Bitcoin already, uh, or you purchase some Bitcoin through an exchange like Bitfinex or something like that, you can uh, take your Bitcoin and send it and pay a lightning invoice with it. And so at that point, you would just do exactly the same thing. Is, you know, let's just say that you're in uh, PodFriend, which is an app that supports streaming. You can say, I want to deposit 20,000 20, Satoshis in here. It pops up the QR code. You pay it from your uh, Bitcoin Bitfinex or Bif- Bitcoin Exchange wallet uh, with a lightning invoice. And those sats show up on your on your phone. So those are the, those are the, the listener side is more, is naturally more complicated because it requires, uh, transferring money into your wallet, into your podcast app. Uh, so it's more complicated than just a podcaster that sets up and says, okay, now I'm ready to receive them. But, um, but that is getting, but it's for us users. It's not, it's not hard. I just described it. And it's getting even easier on, on an, on an almost monthly basis. So that's, that's sort of the thumbnail sketch. We, you know, hopefully this will get better. There's, there's talk of, I don't know if you've seen this, but uh, Jack Dorsey has hinted multiple times that Twitter is going to become lightning enabled. Basically, you're going to, they're going to, from what it looks like, they're going to, uh, lightning wallet every Twitter user. So that you can tip each other and, you know, for retweets and all that. I was going to say, if that shit happens and you didn't listen to me since 2014 saying to buy Bitcoin, you're going to hang yourself. Yes. Right. You're going to, you're going to go up into the biggest tree you have. You're going to put a rope around your neck and you're going to hang yourself by not holding any Bitcoin. But that's exciting. Now, I guess I understand how lightning works. I get how apps like strike work. You were just talking about like getting sats into a wallet to pay the podcaster and you mm-hmm. mentioned things like Bitfinex and whatever. 
the person who's holding their Bitcoin in a typical wallet, is there is it very complex to move some of that Bitcoin over into Lightning, right? So somebody's got an Exodus wallet, right? And and they have mm -hmm. Bitcoin in it, right? Or they're they're holding Bitcoin on Coinbase, which is stupid and you shouldn't do that, but that's what they're doing. Is a Lightning address just like any other Bitcoin address? So do, can I get can I easily get my money from a non-lightning wallet into a lightning wallet? That's what I don't know. You, in order to do that, you would have to do go through something like Strike. So you would have to. So a lightning node is a full Bitcoin node with the lightning software running on top of it. And so every lightning node can accept on-chain Bitcoin transactions, traditional core Bitcoin transactions. Uh, so it, let's just say that you had some uh, a, a regular Bitcoin wallet. Well, you would probably and you say, "Well, I've got a bunch of satoshis over here. I don't want to, you know, buy anything more. I just want to use this." Well, you could take Strike, uh, do an on-chain transaction of let's just say a hundred thousand satoshis over to Strike, and now you, what you've done is you've 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 put it into a wallet that understands Lightning and Bitcoin. And so now you can you can forward those sats on to a lightning enabled podcast player or any other lightning node. So, I mean, you know, lightning has many more uses even beyond, you know, beyond podcasting It's all kinds of cool stuff. So well, there's I tons think of stuff. But if we're yeah. podcasting, like it seems like one of these app developers you have out there needs to be building there as a lightning node enabled wallet attached to a podcast app. Mm -hmm. That's like, exactly what well, that's yeah. exactly what they are. Like okay. Bree, uh, Breeze. There's two. There's sort of two classifications of of these apps, and if you want to see what I'm talking about, you can go to uh, newpodcastapps.com. That's where we have a big list of them. But you, there's sort of two ways these things happen. You've got traditional Bitcoin Lightning wallet apps that then strapped on a podcast player, and then you've got podcast players that strapped on a a Bitcoin Lightning wallet, and The second one of those is much more difficult. I mean, like, if you're a podcast app developer, um, that's a lot easier than building a Lightning Bitcoin wallet because <laughs> there's a, you know, it's not a skill set you probably had already. So, um, those, those are sort of the two classes and they, they sort of attract two different crowds. The, the Breeze, uh, type wallets and, uh, and, and Sphinx, those, those types of wallets, uh, that are now podcast players. They attract a very Bitcoin centric type of person who was already familiar with those apps and, and trust them. They're non custodial, uh, that kind of thing. And then, then you have the, the podcast apps that, that baked in lightning and those are more custodial. They still work great, but, uh, they just, uh, it, they, uh, are liked by a different crowd, so to speak. So you sort of had two different ways to go there. And the most of the lightning uh, enabled podcast players that were podcast players first are using a custodial service called LN pay and uh, LN pay is just, you know, virtual, basically a bunch of virtual wallets, uh, but your, your options there are more limited because it only really understands lightning. Uh, if you want something that you can just transfer straight Bitcoin to, I would say something like breeze is better because then, you know, breeze is a fully non-custodial Uh, lightning node in an app on your phone that can do on-chain transactions, lightning transactions, the whole nine yards and as a podcast player. So that's sort of like, you know, that's, that's your full, uh, 
uh, non-custodial uh, Bitcoin purist experience right there. And I'm on podcast uh, the, the podcast apps page uh, mm -hmm. you mentioned, and Breeze runs on Android and iOS. So that that's yeah. they've got all the bases covered. Because to me, that I understand the complexity, but that that is that is the way to eliminate me having to ping pong money over to Strike and then over to like. Sphinx or something like that, right? Yeah. I can go. Yeah. I can just hey, I want to I want to deposit a hundred bucks worth for supporting podcasters for the next quarter, so I'm going to send that much to my account on Breeze. I guess is how that would work, or my mm -hmm. wallet on Breeze, and then I can I can stream to podcasts as I listen. I can mm -hmm. boost a podcaster, right? Like I can say like I just want to send this guy like five thousand sats because I like him. Yep. Um, Is there anything where I can say, like, I want this much to go to this podcast every month? Um, not yet. That's okay. a thing that is coming in a, thing, in a spec called Bolt 12, which is a lightning uh, protocol spec that was – it's new. It's being bandied about right now and it's being talked about. It's a It would allow things like uh, recurring revenue, payments. Uh, it, it does that all through a thing called open invoices. So you can create a single invoice and have that be open-ended. It doesn't even have to have an amount, but it is very flexible invoicing. So you can create an invoice, and instead of like right now, your Lightning node is being put into your into your RSS feed, your Lightning node address. But in the future, if under Bolt 12, when it gets adopted, that will change, and it will be this: you would generate an invoice and put that in your in your RSS feed, and that invoice would just be an open invoice, static invoice that could always get paid. And you could have different invoices for different, you know, use cases and that kind of thing. And, you know, one thing to talk about here is when it comes to uh, the XML or, excuse me, the, the RSS feed and the way those node, uh, lightning node IDs go in there, we did it in such a way where you can have multiple sp splits is what we call them. So let's, you know, if you have a host and a co-host, Uh, uh, and a, um, you know, an artist, uh, uh, that does your show art and an, a sound engineer. And you'll say you have four or five people that all you want, that, that all want to get paid. Well, you can set that all up to where every time, uh, each minute, let's say if somebody is sending you 50 sats a minute to listen to your show, those 50 sats are getting split up in the percentages that you declare. So if you have a host and a co-host that's each taking 50%, well, then they're each getting 25 sats a minute. And that's something that you declare. You set that up. You, you set the structure of it up in your in your feed, and then the podcast apps they see that, and then they start splitting the payments up. Um, and we use this on our show, uh, Podcasting 2.0. We use it in that way. It's um, we have one one split that goes 95% uh, of the of the sats go to to us to our node. And then, but we also have a guy that does our chapters for us, our chapter art, uh, Dreb Scott. He does, uh, really great, just extensive chapters. And so, uh, we actually get, we give him a 5% split in our value block and he's got a lightning node. And so every minute that somebody's listening, he's getting sats just like us. Um, and in the future, uh, one of the next phases that we're going to do, I'm actually working on this right now, on finalizing the, uh, our support for it is um, per item, per episode level splits so that you can say, you know, uh, generally I have, you know, um, my split is going to be 100% to Jack uh, in the chan in, in the RSS feed, the podcast feed. 
But then on this particular show, I want to get 90% to Jack and 10% to my guest. And so then every time in the future, five years from now, somebody goes back and listens to that episode on a pod, on a lightning podcast player, they, that guest is going to be getting 10, you know, 10% of those stats every, every minute. So this, it's a really, it's a really cool way. It's a really future proof way to uh, not have to go like what we do now. So it's like giving a royalty to a big name guest. And Absolutely. the beauty Absolutely. of it is it also prevents them from thinking they're more valuable than they are. Because I've had some of that shit where like, well, you don't understand. If you want, I never stop. I know we're going to say next if I want you on the show. And I've now decided I don't. Right. Like, I mean, it's like that's that simple. Like, I'm not begging you to do this. Somebody mentioned you. I offer. And like, but, but when they when you have somebody that feels that they're worth something, maybe they are. Right. And if if I'm going to put somebody on instead of getting a couple hundred thousand downloads uh, over you know a couple days, I'm going to get a couple million. I'm fine sharing that with them, absolutely. Yeah, you know, yeah. assuming that it actually generates the revenue they think it's going to. And then this split, this is actually really interesting because we're doing this manually now. I have a guy that handles my server, all my technology shit, and he's making sure we do all of this stuff uh, with your your service. To the best of our ability, and I've offered him a split, but we're doing that manually. We'll be able to configure that where he just gets his. Yeah, that, that's absolutely. that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, and y'all can contact me, and I can set it up for you manually or whatever you know, however you want to do it. But that the the protocol it supports everything. It supports all that, and you know it's it's built it's built for that. It's built to be a full replacement for uh, royalties. Right, solder. You know, we want to. We we want this thing to apply to music. Well, it could uh, apply to anything, right? Like, yeah. I could actually run a brick and mortar business that I I loop my suppliers into the payments, and I could actually take lightning payments. And when I sell coffee, the coffee vendor gets their portion. Mm-hmm. Like, like I that might be more complex than it needs to be, but that's that's how flexible that kind of thing is. You could do, like you said, digital rights. Uh, I could. Maybe not the way it's set up for Podcast Index, but I could create a system. Like I can think of one of my good friends, Paul Wheaton, does a podcast but does a lot of other things too in the world of permaculture. Has a whole part of his forum that's dedicated to selling like eBooks and electronic products uh, that his audiences or his his people are able to sell. Like that could all be set up to use this type of technology with whatever royalty the. Um, the side owner then would be taking the smaller piece, but they're acting as as the distributor, distributor, right? So they're taking mm-hmm. a distribution fee, and uh, there's it, it's really unlimited. Basically, it does everything uh, that something called simple ledger protocol tied into Bitcoin Cash said it was going to do. <laughs> yeah, right. Bitcoin, yeah, yeah. yeah. About Bitcoin I, Cash. I call it Bitcoin trash, but that's just me. <laughs> um, you know. Well, well, I mean, think about it, Jack. You you could have um, you could do so much. With this, you you could say, okay, well, for this particular, let's just say for a month of episode worth of episodes, let's just say you're going to do uh, 15 episodes in a month, and for this month, I'm going to put in a split for this charity oh. every you know for yeah. every episode, and 10% of every episode this month is going to go to Children's Hospital or whatever you you know sure. however you set that up, or and one of the things we're um, Another thing that you can do is, is fairly new within the last few weeks that that, uh, that we've been working on as a group uh, is uh, allowing things called boostergrams, and so uh, you you know you can get those, and I'll send you one later. You can get those 
from a podcast app. Currently, CurioCaster and Podfriend are supporting it, and two they're about to are Fountain and Castomatic. Those four apps support Boostergrams, and that is you can send somebody a boost of sats. Let's just say you know five thousand sats, and you can include your name. It's optional and a message, and so that's a donation note. It's a full replacement. I mean, it is PayPal. It's a full. It closes the loop between listener and podcaster, and then um, once you have that mechanism, the next logical step is to be able to feed back and say, okay, um, I'm going to uh, send you and I'm going to reply and then maybe the reply shows up in the app. So this thing is just so like once you get into programmable money, it, it there's no I mean, it's just like the sky's the limit. I mean, you, you can just sit here for an hour and think up a thousand different ways to do cool stuff. And unlike so many other things that are centralized, since anybody can build on anything that's open source, it actually becomes limitless. Yes, and I yes. think that that's amazing. One of the things I wanted to wrap up with, I, I found one of your statements in, in your guest app pretty interesting. That podcasting has been infected with pathological sameness for many years. Mm. What do you mean by that? Why do you feel that way? That's a quote from uh, Evo Terra, who wrote a really good article, um, and he he wrote an article in support of us the our project is known collectively as podcasting 2.0 and that's it's not just the value for value stuff it's it's the index it's the pot what's called the podcast namespace which is allow uh is allowing for things like uh chapters transcripts sound bites uh locations all these things to be embedded in the rss feed and so one of the things that we've that we've done is challenged people to move a, move away from these stagnant uh, apps like Apple Podcasts, Spotify that don't that are not enabling these new features because you know as your as as listeners as podcast listeners we want to give them reasons to engage with the content and so like if you're talking about if you're telling your uh, audience about something to do with, you know, these gigantic tomatoes that just came out of your uh, out of your permaculture garden, you know, you may want to pop up an image of that on the podcast player at that chapter marker where you're talking about it. Well, those sorts of uh, th- new things with chapters and and that kind of deal, we we're trying to challenge the podcast industry to adopt and move towards those things. In order to survive and give people a reason to stick with this medium. And so the pathological sameness that Evo was talking about in his article is that podcasting as an industry has just been resistant to change for so long. And the way that it always comes out, the words you hear are, yeah, that's a great idea, but unless Apple does it, I'm not interested. And I'll, I can tell you a big part of why. A lot of these other apps and, and syndication services and all, all they're doing is pulling data from from Apple Podcasts. Yep. Like when I I was like one day, like what can I do to get more, get my, my, my show out more? And I thought, you know what I should do? I, it's been a long time since I've looked at, you know, competing podcast services and apps. I should go look up all of the new ones, and I should make sure my show's in all of them. My show was in every one of them. And and mm-hmm. what they were doing is they're just pulling from kind of the master catalog. That's that's my only explanation that they're they're pulling from Apple. So unless Apple does it, they'd have to actually do it, right? I mean that's 
when I, you know, I look at all these different services and some of them are, you know, really tiny, some are pretty big. You know, I get a, I get a ton of listeners on Stitcher, right? Mm. Like a lot of people use Stitcher. Like I would say that's probably the second biggest, um, block of, of, of people that are listening to the show is Stitcher for me. But I, I just think all they're really doing is pulling from, from Apple. Um, like Google Play, I think is just kind of its own thing. Um, the Amazon podcasting service is its own thing, though not many people use it. Uh, Spotify seems to be its own thing. Everybody else just seems to basically be just taking the data and, and then aggregating it through a different mechanism. Yeah, and the, that's part of it. And the other part is that um, it's, it's, it's easy. Uh, you can just at the end of your show say, you know, say, well, listen to this episode wherever you get your podcast from, you know, and that's, if you do that, then your audience never knows that there's anything else out there. And so it's sort of the tyranny of the default. It's the reason why everybody used Internet Explorer, even though it was, it was trash for, you know, 15 years. And but what so what happens is Apple ends up the Apple podcast app ends up with, you know, 30, 40 percent market share because the industry and us collectively as podcasters, we don't tell our audience anything different. We just say, get it wherever you get your podcast. Well, you know, there's a whole host of better podcast app experience. I mean, the Apple podcast app, it's fine. It, it's, it mostly is okay, but it's just, but there's so, we all as podcasters, we don't use it. We all use something better. We use different apps that are better than that. And so we should be recommending to our audience to use better apps an audience, and if one thing is for is for sure, just taking the Internet Explorer uh, argument for for a uh, for a spin here, is that it's it just telling people about something and telling people that something is better, it is enough in a lot of circumstances. I, I would have never thought 15 years ago that we would be seeing you know my grandmother download Chrome onto her computer because she heard it was better than than Internet Explorer. But that's exactly what's happened. And so, you know, we underestimate the our our listeners and our users many, many times over. We don't think they can handle something, but they can. And if you go and say, hey, uh, this uh, get if you want to listen to my show in it in get all these cool new features, if you want to see the chapter art, if you want to see a transcript. Um, if you want to see, uh, if you want to do value for value streaming payments, go get a new podcast app and here's a list of them. You could do something like that. And we've seen a hundred percent people will do it, but, but us collectively as podcasters, we're not, we're not pushing our audience to better apps. So that's, that's really what, what it is. It's about once, uh, the, the, the podcast industry, all the if you take all the indie podcast apps, all the all the independent hosts, all of those independents, if you take all of those people and you add up their market share, it far outsizes Apple, Spotify. And so we need to. So what we've been saying is, you know, we the indie pod, the indie part of podcasting, we are podcasting. We're the biggest part of it. So. We need to start acting like that. We need to stop giving all of our power away to Apple and Spotify and these big companies and start acting like we are the big, you know, the big game in town. 
Because we're the long tail is what we call it in search marketing, right? Like, yeah, yeah I mean, cell phone is the number one search term for people that want to find a cell phone provider. But if you add up all the things like cell phone provider, Dallas, Texas, low-cost cell phone, all the little things that all get 50, 100, 1,000 searches, that tail is much more quantity than that one big term. So that's that's Joe Rogan, right? And nothing against him, but, I mean, that's Joe Rogan with his millions of subscribers and all. But collectively, the small guy adds up to, to multiple Rogans, mm-hmm. right? And, yeah, and, and again, I'm not, for anybody, I'm not putting Joe down. I love Joe. I love what he, love what he does. But now he is Spotify, right? Like, I mean, that's just... Yeah. But if somebody, I, I'm gonna be honest. I, my price is pretty high. But if somebody offered me fifty million dollars to put TSP on Spotify, I might do it. <laughs> right? I just might do that. If you didn't, you know? I would think less of you. Yeah, you know, I don't hate money, right? You know, You're right. Yeah. But but no. yeah, I mean, we we do need. And there's you know, for every every TSP, every No Agenda, there's there's hundreds of of much smaller shows that add up to more than than us. It, it, the, the formula keeps repeating. And mm. the guy that starts a show next week. That like my first five shows sucked, and his first five shows will suck. Maybe bigger than me by the end of next year. Like that—that's the nature of this business. It's a meritocracy. It's a duocracy. And you're right. We should be putting more of our time and effort to growing the platforms that are dedicated to what we do, versus trying to basically, like I said, I think what what Spotify and Apple and all that have become now is let's get every single talking head on TV to repurpose their content into a podcast and then use their their media platform that they have in, in the MSM to then promote their podcast so we get lots of users. Well, they're hit, they're hit machines is what they are. They're, they're just looking for the next hit. And, you know, you notice, I mean, Joe Rogan is not getting deplatformed. It's everybody else on Spotify that's a platform. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now he has he has changed a little bit in tone, I would say, in in some ways. Like he's, but he's still taking heat. But yet he's not gone, right? Well, they also gave him fifty million bucks, so that's expensive to change your mind now, right? I don't, I don't think that they would get their money back if they decided that he he doesn't belong there anymore. Well, I mean, look at the news, but the, look at the new podcast they just signed, the Caller Daddy Show. I mean, that show's filthy. I mean that they, they I've never heard they of don't it. censor that. Oh, well, they don't. That, they oh. paid like eighty million for that show, and it wow. is filthy. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. There's no. There's no censorship going on on the flagship stuff. It's. It's. That's. It doesn't reach up to that level. It, it's all the people that are out there talking about like alternative treatments and yeah. and not getting a vaccine or you know taking a side other than the mainstream for geopolitics or what have you and it, it, it bothers me honestly that the left is okay with this because they're getting less of it now because they're not getting none like you said but the left should be the group that's shrieking the loudest about censorship right yeah. that, that, I mean, they used to be they oh they used, used to be and and that was one of the places i agreed with the left was on you know anti-censorship and uh, man if if It, it, it really started with the whole cancer, cancel culture crap like 15 years ago or 15, five years ago, I would say, when it really revved up because they realized, oh, by censoring speech, we can get what we want. That makes it okay. But the COVID crap just closed the door on the trap, man. Like they're, they're, it, they're bought in 100%. Um, and it makes well, no sense to me. It, remember, it, uh, you know, we were listening to Biden's speech yesterday. Oh yeah, and, uh, they were talking about, uh, you know, talking about leaving Afghanistan. We, I, I immediately was remember, I was thinking back to, you know, 
remember Cindy Sheehan? Yeah. Remember, remember Code Pink? Yeah. All of, all of these people that were, you know, adamant free speech uh, advocates back in the day of George W. Bush. It's like those guys are just gone now. Just it's like there's, yeah, they've they've just, they've just disappeared. So I, I mean, if one thing hap, you know, if if one thing is, you know, that I could say that I hope comes back, it's the it's the anti-war free speech left because. You know, they seem to have just gone away and disappeared. <laughs> I mean, oh, they, they'll they be back. The Republicans will be in charge again someday, and they'll be back. That's that's how that. Yeah. What's the cycle will flow? Um, it is an interesting place to watch things, and I I just anybody that's okay with any of this silencing of voices to me, I I think of a meme that's been repackaged a bunch of times recently, and it's tell me when in the history of the planet the people censoring others, burning books, etc., were the good guys. Yeah, it's like uh, that thing of uh, show me how uh, making lists of people ever ended in something good. You know, that kind of thing. It doesn't, and that's that's that that's the fact that the people that have silenced voices have always been the bad guys, and the bad guys in those moments have always, over time, gotten worse and done mm-hmm. more horrible things. And so, you're to me, if you're for censoring anybody's speech right now, you're on the wrong side of history and reality. I mean, yeah, but yeah, I, that's why so. I'm glad to see you guys doing so. Everybody bitches about it, right? It, it's it's totally different when you do something about it, and, and that's what you and Adam and your guys are doing. So, man, I, I really appreciate you being with us today and explaining yeah, all sure. this and kind of opening my mind to, like, there, it's it's not just this technology. It's the base technology and how many places it could expand and how many more things that lightning coupled with this idea of streaming and splits, et cetera, can do. Um, because the Bitcoin genie's not going back in the bottle. They can they can no. try all they want. This is this is never going away. We've had forty my entire life that I've lived as an adult and, and even back into childhood, I've lived under the drug war. They haven't been able to make drugs go away. Drugs have to be shipped <laughs> across yeah. the ocean, then they have to be distributed by mid level, high level, low level dealers. You can't if you can't stop meth. You're not stopping ones and zeros. That's not happening. <laughs> yes, yes, 100%. So, so it's yeah. time to grab onto this and make the most of it. So so thanks for being with us today. Tell people how they can find yeah. out more uh, about all this stuff. Oh, yeah. it's uh, Well, our our, our uh, site is podcastindex.org. That's where our API uh, lives in the full directory. You can download you know the, the full almost one gig uh, list of feeds if you want to. If you've got some project that you want to do, you're welcome to it. And uh, we just ask that you, uh, if you have any, if you get any value of it, if you do some cool, if you do something cool with it, let us know. If you get value from it, consider giving value back to us. And newpodcastapps.com is uh, is just a quick link to the uh, podcastindex.org/apps page, where you can see all the new apps that are doing cool things. And uh, podcasting 2.0 is the name. If you just search for podcasting 2.0 in Google, you'll find. The namespace and all of our GitHub projects and all the open source stuff we're doing, and uh, so that's pretty much how you can find out about us. And our our uh, our show is also called Podcasting 2.0. Uh, you can find it on if you search for podcasts in the uh, search for it on podcastindex.org. We're not on Apple Podcasts. We're not on Spotify. It's just sort of a it's our small protest, but <laughs> we, it, it may limit our audience. But yeah, that's what this is all about. You eat your own dog food, right? Well, you walk your walk and you talk your talk, and then you actually have credibility, man. So I, I respect the hell out of that. 
Uh, Dave, again, thanks for being with us today. I'll make sure all those links are in the show notes, and you've got some social stuff here. I'll make sure that's in there as well. And I just want to throw out a kind of a acknowledgement. Like I said, I used Sososhi Stream to set up my wallet, and that's where I connected with you and Adam. And I see you guys like in, a, in their Telegram group, and you're in there helping people on a daily basis. Um, not that you're like on call tech support in there or anything, but it's damn, it seemed like it almost. <laughs> and so, like the fact that you guys are out working with people who are developing things for this to help onboard their people, that's badass to me, and that shows commitment. So, uh, really, thank you, and, and pass my kind words on to Adam for the work that he's done over the years because he's one of the the true influencers in this whole space that we're part of. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll say, uh, I'll give you a compliment as well. Uh, back when, uh, back when I first started listening to survival podcast years and years ago, um, you, you said it was, it was some episode. I don't remember what you were even talking about, but you were talking about how, you know, being prepared with food supply and that kind of thing. And you said, and you said that uh, somebody had written into you and that they mentioned running out of butter. And you said, why in the hell would anybody ever run out of butter? And, uh, that was your, that was kind of your quote. And, it, you know, the implication being that's, that's such a staple item in your house. I mean, you should have enough butter to last for a month at any moment, you know, at, uh, you know, just at the drop of a hat. And to this day, I can tell you, I've got 20 sticks of butter in the freezer ready to go at any moment. <laughs> that's it's awesome. Only, it's, a, it's because you said that probably 10 years ago. So anyway, thanks. I, I thought you were going to point out years and years ago, um, I was, Uh, competing for Podcast of the Year Award in the general category, which is pretty tight, and no agenda was in the same category. And I said, <laughs> I do not want to lose to a show called No Agenda. And like a bunch, and I didn't know, I didn't know anything about your show back then, or Adam's show back then. And I got lamb blasted by my own audience. You don't understand. You don't know who this is or whatever. Oh, that's funny. But that's the cool funny. thing is I won that year. <laughs> <laughs> you did it. <laughs> I did. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, man, I really appreciate you being with us. I, uh, I hope you have a great day and thanks for hanging out. If you got, Anything new you want to come back on, even like for a, a short segment, or you want to ever send me something to put into one of my standalone shows, just send it on over. I love the work you guys are doing, and uh, I, I'm happy to help get the word out to anything new that comes along. Yeah, thanks so much, Jack. Appreciate it. Well, definitely, I think this is something that at least those of you who really value cryptocurrency and Bitcoin and podcasting and content should consider getting involved with. Like I said, I'm not doing this just so people will get involved and in, in, in stream sats to me. I, I want this to work, period. If I just wanted more Bitcoin, I'd say, hey, I need some Bitcoin tips, and I know some people would just do it, right? And honestly, when you're, when you're building this up as a, as a content creator, you know, you, it's such a, I got 9,000 sats today. Well, do the math on that. It's not a lot of money. Right. So to me, this is very much in its early stages, but it's something I want to see work. And I, I'm really excited about how the technology, the core technology itself can evolve. Because what this has the potential to do is, in my opinion, kind of bring Bitcoin into the world of DAOs, which has been the whole Ethereum world. In fact, maybe do so in an even more powerful way. Uh, we'll talk about that, I'm sure, in the future. But I mean... Isn't it just enough that this is about making sure that people like me aren't silenced? And it doesn't matter why someone's silenced. Nobody should be silenced. I think we covered that pretty well today. Anyway, um, if you want to start listening to TSP uh, on Podcast Index, just go to podcastindex.org and put the Survival Podcast in and you'll find us. And 
You can check out the links that I put in the notes today, including all of the cool apps that are built on this technology you can try out. And uh, see if you can find something that works for you, because I'd rather, I'd rather move some of y'all toward these independent options than have you stay inside the corporate beast that is Apple. I, I just really would. Anyway, with that, let's go ahead and... Uh, remind you that if you like this show and the work that we do, you can always help support us just by doing your online shopping where? tspaz.com. You can't forget that, can you? tspaz, T-S-P-A-Z, tspaz.com. Go to tspaz, and you will see all of the reviews that I've done of products that I use on Amazon. Um, you know if it's there, I own it, I bought it, I'd spend my money on it again, or I wouldn't recommend it to you. Today's item of the day are the Barina LED Grow Lights. I've sold... I mean thousands of these things over a couple years. When these came out, I realized that LED lighting had gotten to the point that the consumer could now buy a product that was as good as what a commercial grower was paying ten times as much for just five years ago. That's really what you have here. Like the commercial gear today is better than this, and but it's still really, really expensive. This, is, this stuff is as good as the gear that people were paying thousands for just a few years ago. In fact, I'll put it to you this way. What you can get a six-pack of these lights for today right now, the, uh, they're on sale again. They're $10 knocked off. It's while I bought them around. A six-pack of four-foot LED lights, 42 watts each, is 100 bucks. Five years ago, one of those lights was 100 bucks. That's it's technology is one of the few places where you get these types of net gains for the consumer. The two foot lights are on sale for sixty bucks for six of them, and I added a PS to this because some of y'all have asked me about the clear lights. I've not tried the clear white version. I've had several people, two in particular in this audience that are big into hydro that I trust. One's James White who's been on the show about it. He tried them, and. Both of them have told me that if they grow the same plants two feet apart under different lighting, there's no difference. The white ones work as good. They're only available right now in four packs, and they cost a little bit more per watt. But I'm going to tell you why some people have been really interested in them, and it makes sense to me. Because I think about it you know, in the wintertime when it gets dark early, and I go outside and I see this big pink-ass glow from my upstairs room where I keep my, my system up there. If you have the wrong kind of neighbors that are nosy and make phone calls, they might think you're growing pot or something when they see that. Because that kind of weird glow that you get from the, the pink-tinted uh, full-spectrum light, you know, it, it could cause that effect. So if you want to use the white ones, they're just as good. I got links in the write-up for them today. Um, I really recommend that just about anybody in this audience, if you eat salad greens... You should be doing some level of indoor hydroponic growing. It doesn't have to be a big system. I, the system that I put together is a video of a system I put together. I did it mainly for starting plants, but you could modify it just a little bit, and you could grow enough salad greens with that system that you'd never have to buy a salad green from the store ever again. And you could build that for a hundred bucks, and you, you'd, you'd grow less total plants than I'm growing, but. I'm telling you, I've, I've been tempted to convert that system that way just because I want to show that it can be done. Um, there is, there's really nothing quite as easy for guaranteed success with green. So I'm talking lettuces, chard, arugula, 
basils, etc. There's nothing as easy and as instantly gratifying as hydro. There really isn't. Check out these likes. That's what makes it all possible. They're the most expensive piece, and they're not expensive anymore. Here's the other thing about this. I'm not the one telling you, buy anything you can get as quick as you can get it, because it's everything shortage, right? I, I think that's a little bit uh, too much hyperactivity there, right? However, however, there is an everything shortage. I just got a bunch of stuff from one of my good friends, Mark, today. He's in construction. of, of Tons of shortages and price increases. Firestone who's one of the biggest manufacturers of roofing materials. I know you think of the tire, but roofing materials is one of their big core businesses. They said they expect the supply chain issues with roofing materials to last for at least two more years. Two more years. Everything is affected by this. Ports continue to get shut down in China due to COVID over there and whatever other nonsense they're pulling. These are manufactured offshore. They don't go bad. They're not going to spoil. They don't have a shelf life. If you're going to build a system while they're in stock and on sale, get them, and I'll leave it at that. But remember, no matter what you buy, you shop at tspaz.com, you help support us and the work that we do. On that note, if you think you missed out on the big sale on Anchor items yesterday, A-N-K-E-R, my favorite value brand in electronics and technology, guess what? Most of that shit's still on sale, so you can check that out, too, from yesterday's post. It will go out in the Daily Mail. If you're not on the Daily Email, you should be. Just go to the website and click on the Daily Mail, and you can fill out a form and uh, make sure you get an update. You get one email a day, 99% of the time. It's rare occasions I send an extra email, probably once a quarter, maybe twice a year even. But daily, it's just one email, all the new stuff. Get on the daily mail or get on the Telegram channel. Uh, the Telegram group's great too, but that's where you talk to everybody. The Telegram channel, all you do is every time something new comes up, you get a text from me, basically. And if you decide you don't want it no more, you just unsubscribe from the channel. So check that out too. With that, look ahead, get into today's uh, song of the day. I'm in a good mood, and it kind of sucks, but it's I have to play this song. And I have to talk about why I'm playing this song, because of what's going on in the world today. There are times when I say something, and then I end up being right. And a lot of those times, I don't say, hey, I was right. I say, damn, I was right again. That's what's going on in Afghanistan right now. I've said from the very beginning that this was a fool's errand of a war, that this was never going to work out. We were never going to stand that country up. And the reason I said that wasn't because I'm smart. It's because I talk to people. And I talk to veterans, and I talk to people that served in country over there, and every veteran I ever talked to said the exact same thing to me. The place is a shit show. The Afghan army cannot, will not, and is never going to stand up and control its own territory. And the minute we leave, it's going to completely collapse. So I knew that would happen. When this withdrawal process started, right away people said it could turn into Saigon or it's not going to. And the government came out very clearly and said that's not going to happen. There is no scenario in which that happens. And I posted on social media, 30 to 60 days. 30 to 60 days, America will have Saigon 2.0. About 40 days since I did that post. And that's where we're at. This is, I would say in some ways, this is a bigger mess than Saigon was. But today's, show, today's song by Billy Joel, because Billy Joel Week, is called Good Night Saigon. And this was a song Joel really didn't want to do at first. 
And Joel tends to not be very political. He's never served in the military, and he doesn't. He, he was the kind of guy that never wanted to create an association with himself that was fictitious. Like I don't want to seem like I'm a soldier when I'm not, and I, I respect that. Um, but there was a veterans group that wanted him to do this song, and they had sort of a concept in mind for it. And they talked to him about it, and they said, "Don't worry." Write it, but we'll also tell you what to write. So yeah, you're going to be the songwriter because we're not songwriters, but we'll tell you. And if you if you get something wrong, we'll tell you that too. And he had a few conversations and took a shot at it and, and and blew it out of the water with this song. And this is one of those songs that I like to bring to you, where a lot of times I, I know the majority of the audience have never heard this song. This is not a song that got a ton of radio play. This was not a top forty song. It was never meant to be. It was a tribute to men and a recognition that we turned our back on them. And I hate to be right about things like this, but I'm going to tell you, what's going on in Afghanistan right now is so like what went on in Vietnam. It's scary. And I'm going to tell you what comes next. And I'm going to tell you that I don't care how many people say it's not going to happen. It's going to happen. This is a freaking embarrassment for America. We're the most powerful number one military in the world, and we could have went in there and we could have waxed ass. We didn't. We didn't. Every general that was ever in charge of that screwed it up. There was never an intention to actually win the war in Afghanistan, just like Vietnam. The the local military that we were building up and investing so much time and blood and treasure in was never going to stand up just like Vietnam. And it took way too long for people to come to realize that. 20 years. 20 years we've been in Afghanistan. All the anger and rage and hoorah that resulted in us going in in the first place, Gulf of Tonkin, is long gone in the minds of everybody and all they know is that these people have been overseas. There's a difference between the Afghan war and the, and the Vietnam war, and only one, and it's the reason so many people sat on their hands and didn't speak up and didn't say what they knew was true and didn't demand that we get the hell out long ago. We had no draft. We had no draft. I would also say less Americans died in theater. Though The number of injured is unbelievable because you don't hear about it but i promise you if the average american knew somebody was drafted and sent over there they would have had a little bit more to say about it but they didn't but here's where it comes back to the same as vietnam these men are going to come home may make a few movies about them or something but by and large they're going to be forgotten i know you say you won't i won't But I mean the country at large, because the country at large doesn't like the sting of defeat, and don't let anybody tell you any differently. We failed our mission in Afghanistan. Yes, it is due to the incompetence of our government. And since that was always going to be the case, we should have never went in there and occupied the damn thing in the first place. All that is true. But we still lost, and it goes down as a loss. It's, a, it's in the L column. That's not disrespectful for our soldiers. Some of you will think that it is. It's not. It's not their fault. Like I said, you turn that machine loose and it can win any war, I believe, anywhere on the planet. But that's not what we did. We went in there with an impossible directive 
stand up an Afghan army and air force that doesn't want to stand up. That force did not collapse as quickly as it did because they were weak. It collapsed as quickly as it did because it didn't ever want to be there in the first place. Now, I'm sure there's some that did, but the vast majority of them... I, I watched a video recently, and they said it was Afghan army forces surrendering to the Taliban. I watched both these men put their guns down and then hug each other, and they quickly took the camera off. that, like, oh shit, that's the wrong footage. I'm not saying the Taliban's going to come in and hug everybody. I'm not saying they're good guys. I'm saying a lot of the people that we said were on our side ain't and never were. It was just how they adapted to the situation. The people of Afghanistan wanted this country out of their country. Now, I'm sure the people that were living a better life because we were there, maybe they didn't, but I'm talking about the majority. And if you go into a situation like that, this will always be the result. This will always be the result. Underestimate the enemy, underestimate the enemy's will, and make your people fight with one arm tied behind their back. We have. This is why I've said, remember what I've been saying about history for so long? They say we study history so we won't repeat the mistakes of the past, and I said that's bullshit. We study history because some dumbass is going to repeat the mistakes of the past, and we should be able to recognize it when it happens. That's exactly what just happened again. So I'm going to tell you again, this country, by and large, will forget these men and these women that served. But you don't. Don't ever. With that, it's been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast.
the night.